0: Welcome to the Master Retention Podcast, where we talk to top mobile game experts about their experiences running successful games. My name is Mike, and I work on the marketing team. This week, Tom speaks with Johanna Haslam, Design Director at Snapfinger Click, about how to properly utilize streaming within your game and influencer marketing. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. Uh, I'm Tom Hammond, your host and co-founder of UserWise. And today, I'm delighted to have Joe Haslam with us today. Um, She's currently the design director at Snap Finger Click. um, And we're going to be talking about all sorts of fun things, like how to create uh, games that are streamable and and designed to be kind of played together and stuff. So lots of of fun stuff. but uh, before I do that, Joe, I always like to ask, you know, what's your story? Like, how did you get into games and where you are today? Yeah, uh,
1: I never really planned to get into games. Um, my background was technical. I was really into computing and I studied computer science at university. And I knew that I wanted to get into something that definitely was in the computing area. I also really liked media. Um, all forms of media, you know, TV, especially, I was really interested in. Um, and then a game called Buzz came out in the mid-noughties. I don't think it was that popular in America, but it was a big hit in Europe. And it was part of this kind of group of games. There was one called SingStar, which was kind of like karaoke. There was one called toy which you played with a camera. And it was around just before kind of Guitar Hero really kicked off. And Buzz was a quiz game and it was styled like a TV game show. And I was a really big fan of it. It really kind of pulled me into gaming um, because I really enjoyed playing it with my friends. And then I found out the studio that built it uh, is based in a place called Brighton in the south of the UK, which is where I'm from. So that was really exciting. (laughs) And Yeah. um, yeah, I just, I saw that they were hiring and it just happened to be around the time I was finishing my degree. And they were looking for a junior designer at the time to work on Buzz. So my first role uh, in the games industry was working on Buzz, working on voiceover specifically. So I used to design all the kind of trigger points for when the, the host character would talk and also write some of the scripts and everything just kind of went from
0: there. That's awesome. Out of curiosity, so you kind of have the, the developer background. How has that shaped or changed how you approach like, designing games?
1: Yeah, I think I've always been more of a kind of more logical, uh, like more technical designer. I think I definitely went through this crisis early on in my career where I was kind of like, I don't know, should I continue in game design? Because my role, my first role wasn't, it was in the kind of game design family, but it crossed over into a lot of other disciplines. There was a little bit of production elements because I was planning uh, VO sessions, and organizing stuff there was a little bit of even like audio technical stuff because I had to do things like check the files and process and edit and things like that Um, and then the design side obviously just came from figuring out where in the game that it should happen but I do remember feeling quite intimidated by the other designers I worked with because they were all coming up with these big grand ideas and I was thinking oh wow I'm not sure if I can can do that but um, yeah one of the things I've learned about game design is that it is very little of it is coming up with big brand ideas <laughs> It's so much about um yeah exploring exploring all the different things that you can do and figuring out which ones work best and a lot of it is quite brute force it's you know literally listing things out and saying right we could do it this way or this way or this way these are all the pros and cons um yeah which one which one is the best or, or the least worst in some cases but um yeah, I think I kind of found my groove from there and I just uh, obviously I went into more general game design and my career has been, it's funny, I feel like my career has been working on a lot of very unusual, very different games and, and I don't want to stop now. Like I didn't make a game that used a controller until I think i have been working in the industry for like eight or nine years. All my games up to that point always worked in another way. The buzz games worked with these plastic buzzers that had coloured buttons on them that you could Uh, select and then I moved on to work on the connect um, which which was such a great experience Um, very very different and you were very kind of limited in what you could do but also in a really kind of creative way Um, I worked on Furby um, the Furby toy app so I worked on a game where you had to sort of go back and forth between the toy and it would communicate with the mobile device Um, And then I even worked on a game where you use a mobile phone as your controller and you play it on a console. (laughs) So it was just lots of different things like that. Um, But it's great. I feel like I've been very lucky that I've got to work on such a weird and wonderful mix of games.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, have you ever actually coded a game, kind of got into Unity and like connected all the dots or have you mostly kind of left your... Dev stuff behind to focus on the game design
1: yeah i haven't really i've definitely not used my computer science degree very much (laughs) Um, also because we were taught java which isn't very useful in um, (laughs) in console game development Um, but no certainly like since unity's come along there's been uh, i think designers have have generally gotten a lot more hands-on
0: with Mm -hmm. things
1: it's really dependent you know there's always a bit of a technical side of it but I, i don't think that many designers need to code or probably should code to be honest (laughs) leave that to the experts but um, I've used it in ways of I think in in terms of my thought process you know I think it helps Mm -hmm. I understand what's possible in terms of coding and you know I have a more realistic view of things um, which sometimes can hold me back in a way because I maybe think that we can't do something when we can but um it, it's definitely was a good solid foundation for getting into design but um the great thing about game design is you can kind of come from anywhere you know I've worked yeah. with it from <laughs> music uh from from maths from philosophy uh you know English psychology mm-hmm. and it's 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 one of those great disciplines because you don't need there's no set root in, you know, it's you can you can really come from anywhere. And I think it's good that you can come from anywhere. Cause I love working in teams where you've got people who've you know got all different kinds of views on things. That's how you get the best out of your team with those kind of diverse ideas.
0: Yeah, I love it. No, and I, I kind of agree with that. Like I'm usually of the mindset that I think it's good for everyone to know how to code. I'm I think it's good for everyone to know at least roughly like How do you make like a a 3D model? How do you like connect that in? Just because I think when it comes to being creative, it's good to know roughly what can be done. And maybe not that's, maybe not all the time, but um, in the sense of, I know some people are like, oh, well, can we do that? And they ask the dev and it's like, well, we could do that, but that's going to be like six months worth of work or this other idea that's maybe a slightly changed variety. Yeah, we can do that. And that'll be like five minutes of development to just, you know, change that little thing. And I think having at least that high level picture to understand how long does something take, you know, can be a, a useful, useful tactic. Um, one thing that you were talking about that reminded me of something. So an author that I really like, uh, his name is Brandon Sanderson. Um, Now this dude just cranks out books. I don't know how he does it. Crazy, like 40,000 words a month or something. Um, But uh, one time I was reading and he was kind of talking about creativity at large and how he kind of uses that within books. And he actually says that um, he tries to consciously put in limitations on like the abilities of his characters and his books, because he finds that those limitations actually enable more creativity, um, which kind of vibed with, you know, like the different controllers or the things that you can do or the lack of controllers um, and how you have to be creative to work around the limitations that you have. Do you think that like intentionally putting limitations, you know, within your game actually can lead to better creative outputs?
1: I, I certainly do for me and the way that my brain works. And I don't know if it's the case for everybody, but when we were working on this connect game, we, we had so many constraints on us that we didn't choose. They were just there. And and I still look back and think of it as one of my most, uh, I don't know, just, I felt like I was really creative. I think it's some of the best work that I did on that game. It was a game called Connect Now Geo TV. Um, you'll probably never have heard of it because it was a very unusual game Title in that it was a hybrid of television and uh, video games, it was for kids, and it used real uh, TV footage from National Geographic. So we had so many constraints we were already having to use existing uh, television uh, footage. And um, it was augmented reality with the interactive sequences. And in augmented reality, that's got its home, whole, whole set of limitations. You know, it's like, you can't manipulate the person that's that's using it that you know they are of one size and one shape and we were making a game where you could play potentially a child or an adult and um, it was things like uh, you would basically role play as an animal to try and do certain tasks so there was one where you were a bear and you would scratch at these rocks to release moths because bears eat moths who knew Uh, (laughs) i found that out from national geographic but you um when you're designing it you've got to consider that you need to do it for for kids who are going to be a lot shorter and then you've got you know adults are going to be six foot and they've all got to fit on the same screen and we learned so much about the things that you could and couldn't do like if you wanted to collide something with your head there's a point where adults just can't bend down without, you know, putting their back out and kids (laughs) physically just can't reach. So we realized, you know, it's got to move, whatever it is has to move in in some fashion. Um, And then there were just other constraints that had come from the game, the way the game needed to be made. It had to be educational. The the thing that the animal did had to be based on a real fact. And then we had all the constraints of the connect, of course, which is that you had to be a certain distance from it. You couldn't go too close to the boundaries of the screen. Um, You could only have a certain number of of people on screen at a time. Uh, So many things. And I I loved it, personally. I felt like, right, that means I can really focus my brain. Because if you give me a complete blank canvas and say, hey, you can design anything, I'm like, where do I begin? That's, I, I don't know, there's this obsessing over, well, is there a better idea out there? But once you've constrained yourself and said okay, we can only do these things. You know, There's only so much we can do in this space. It doesn't take me long to figure a few things out and experiment with a few things. And I feel confident that I've made the best of what I can do with this. So yeah, for me, definitely, I feel like it forces me to be super creative and I feel confident about that. But I, I wonder if people with different brains feel differently, you know, because I, I know it was hard for some of the people I worked with feeling too constrained and just, feeling a bit restricted whereas I thrived on that you
0: know (laughs) flourish in that environment no that's fantastic um yeah and then from there you did a small stand. Mediatronic um (laughs) what was it you know what was it like kind of transitioning to uh, doing a a free-to-play game specifically you know working on a Harry Potter type game
1: yeah I loved I loved that game that was a good that was a really uh, great project and I think it was um, for me as well kind of growing in my career because it was that I'd moved from Relentless after eight years to a new studio I'd started at Relentless as a junior and just like worked my way up so to go into a new studio as a as a lead was uh, really exciting you know you feel like you've got to prove yourself a lot of the time but it was uh, it was it was really good MediaTonic were a great company they made four guys that was after I left though but um, I'd done a little bit of free to play at Relentless um, I'd worked on a, a mobile game called Enigma Express I wasn't the lead on that I'd come in later as sort of support so I'd had a little bit of experience with it not a huge amount but the the industry was going through such a big change at that time it was really fascinating to witness that because I first joined the industry in 2008 and I did actually have quite an interest in mobile gaming back then, but it was, it was different, you know, it was, um, before smartphones and you had those Java based uh, games, I actually (laughs) made one for my dissertation at university. So I was quite interested, um, but yeah, on console development, nobody had any interest in mobile and then suddenly just everything switched and it all seemed to happen at once, you know, unity coming in as well Mm -hmm. around the same time that this was all taking off so we went through this massive pivot and it was quite normal at that time that you were going into roles where you hadn't had that much experience and you you were just figuring it out on the job like the programmers I worked with had been doing C++ features they suddenly had to switch to C sharp in unity Uh, designers were suddenly having to completely factor in things that they would never had to think about before you know like business models and and well retention and and so when we yeah when we went when we were working on uh, Fantastic Beasts um yeah I was learning a lot too I think because um I'd only had a little bit of experience on free to play so I was drawing from the people around me we had um you know we had a great team we had someone who who sort of specialized in uh, the kind of business side of free to play so uh we'd often have a lot of brainstorming to try and find that middle ground, you know, where it's like, this is the kind of design feature I want and how's that going to work from a kind of business perspective. Um, yeah. And it was, it was a, it was a lot of fun and it was, and Mediatonic were a great company. I really liked working there and it was great to, to experience London, which is um, I used to commute there, but the commute got very hard for me in the end. So um, that was what, the main reason why I left, unfortunately, but um, I had a great time though. It was good fun.
0: Yeah. And, you did some live ops there, which is fun, which we, we might return to. But um, let's talk a little bit about Snapfinger Click. Yeah. How'd that come about? Yeah.
1: So Snapfinger Click was founded by people that I uh, worked with at Relentless. So that original team was all people from Relentless, all people who'd worked on Buzz as well. Um, Relentless shut down uh, around the time that Snapfinger Click started. So uh, Snapfinger Click was kind of, Based on very similar values to Relentless, Relentless was always about making uh, games that people can play together. But at Snapfinger Click, it was we got to do it a bit different because it it hasn't worked out for Relentless. Obviously, they you know they've been doing it and now they've shut down. That it, it doesn't seem like there's enough there anymore. And I think obviously Relentless came out of this this real explosion in a kind of casual gaming. The Wii came around at the same time as well, so there was just so much of. Um, it was a bit of a novelty i think games like buzz were a novelty to a lot of people because it was this idea that you could plug in these plastic attachments and play along and that was super fun and then when something click started that vibe was starting to die down but there was definitely still an appetite for it but we were trying to think you know how can we how can we do this in a way that's this that's modern and sustainable and, and is going to make sense going into you know the years to come so um, that's when we started looking at Twitch. And um, mm-hmm. so we were thinking about Twitch from the very beginning and SnapfingerClick's first game uh, was very simple. It was a charades game uh, called Act Out. And the idea behind it is you uh, act out on camera, a secret phrase. So it could be a movie or you know, whatever. You perform on camera, people on Twitch are watching what you're doing and they type directly into the chat trying to guess what you're doing um so it's just like a really simple idea very very effective works very well we also made a secret play it in the living room too um but it, it basically just works both ways but that that game was a lot of things really it was let's make a game we need to make a game to show that we are a credible company that um that we're not uh, just you know gonna hang around not doing anything for a few years it's let's get a game out um let's make a game that's sort of matches with our values and what we want which is games you can play together and to, to factor in this um, new way to play online over twitch i think we were one of the very first games to have twitch interactivity built into it and certainly in a way that was quite meaningful you know that, that you could actually play along that you weren't just affecting things you weren't just voting on things you were actually a player scoring points on a leaderboard and from there we've just built up we, we just gradually making bigger and bigger games. Uh, we, we went on to make a game called Awkward, which is a mature party game. Again, based on quite, quite simple values, you get asked a, a binary question, a sort of this or that question, you know, would you rather have 10 children or 30 dogs? You have to pick one. And um, it's a very social game. It's about gamifying conversation. But we also have that Twitch mode. People can guess what, you know, if I get that question on a stream, the viewers can guess what they think I'm going to say and see if we match. Um, and Awkward has been, we've actually made a board game. I've got it right in front of you now. We've turned it into a board game as well. <laughs> <This is> really- <laughs> but um, that, that one is, um, that. yeah, uh, we weren't expecting that one to really become what it has, but it's just gradually grown into this much bigger thing. We're working on a sequel now. Um, we made a quiz game called It's Quiz Time. That's the one with the mobiles. And um, we've also been working with Ubisoft more recently. We did Family Feud uh, a couple of years ago. Um, we just released a game, uh, Triple Pursuit Live 2, which was last month. So, um, so That's yeah. Cool.
0: So <laughs> I-, I wanted to spend some time talking about Twitch because I don't think we've ever had anyone on here really talking about like how to use Twitch well. And I think you guys have done that. Um, so kind of curious like what games have you found generally work well with twitch um like if i'm you know looking at my game and i'm wondering you know is there an avenue to use this in twitch like are there any general you know rules you found around like hey games like this work really well games like this don't
1: so we obviously think party games work really well, which is, what, which is why we came to where we are. One thing that we noticed about Twitch in terms of its, its vibe is that it's very similar to that vibe you have in the living room when you're hanging out with your friends and family. It's a social platform. You're not going to Twitch to be competitive. You're not going to Twitch to try and win a game. You're going to Twitch to hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, to socialize over a shared interest of gaming which is very similar to those party games that you play together with your friends and family. So that's what struck us immediately as this just makes sense. You know, we can take that same vibe that you get in the living room and we can bring it into Twitch. And um, also there are some constraints, my favorite, but those will change over time. But currently the things that work best on Twitch, one of the things we had to deal with with Act It Out was the lag time, which has gotten a lot better, but. Back then, um, like 2017 sort of time, the lag time could be anything up to about 30 seconds. So from what the streamer is broadcasting to when the viewers can actually see it. Mm. And so if you're wanting the viewers to engage with the game, anything that's based on speed, you know, having to be precise with your timings was impossible. Um, And it still is at the moment, I would say to some degree, the lag times have come down a lot and, um, and are always improving. But, you know, if you're talking about a game with a kind of, you know, precise (laughs) mechanic, but you've got to get something like bang on. um, I think we're always going to have a bit of a problem with that. And and I think it's going to be years before we've got it to to be really super precise in that way. So anything that's that's based on a very specific timing, I think is difficult. The reason why party games work well is that they typically aren't um, very time sensitive. A lot of it is about you know one of the best design practices for party games is to give your audience that space to interact with each other there's a lot of natural breaks in party games um there's a lot of time given to understanding it to uh kind of digest what's just happened one of the things about party games that we always think about is like the off-screen interaction that's such a big part of what mm-hmm. makes them what they are you have moments where the players aren't even looking at the game which is which is strange when you think about designing games, you're actually encouraging them to look away and look at each other. And you wouldn't do that in any other type of game. So it's it's, it's very unique in in that sense. But I do feel that Twitch can be used in almost any game really. And I think that with Twitch bringing in Twitch extensions, we're gonna see a lot more potential because so far we've always just used the Twitch chat. You just type a command in the chat and it's very simple because we know that everybody can access the chat everybody can access it on the device that they're using and it's it's pretty straightforward but you've now got these things called twitch extensions which um, let you do specific interactions for those games so that means that there are there is potential to start doing more complex things like controlling a character moving it in a very specific way um, all of those things become a possibility then and it should be quicker and and not so sluggish and I think where we're heading for it's going to get more and more interesting so there's definitely things that don't work so well right now because of the limitations that we've got but I can't see a situation where there's any particular game that that couldn't have twitch interactivity at least at some point in the future I feel like almost any game has room to work with twitch in some fashion even if it's kind of light you know but I feel like there's always something that you can do with that wider audience that are watching you.
0: Even like a, uh, I don't know. I think of certain, let's say single player games. (laughs) So, you know, like Mario 64 Mm -hmm. or Breath of the Wild, some of those games, have great audiences on twitch because you can do these speed runs and people blow you away by the things like how perfect they they get the game done um but other single player games i don't know like could candy crush be on there like isn't that a very very repetitive kind of boring game to watch or do you like could you connect twitch into candy crush and and do it well
1: I think, yeah, you're, you're putting me on the spot here now because now I'm trying to think, what could you do with Candy Crush or, or Mario? But I feel like what you do with it, it doesn't have to necessarily be immersing that viewer right in the game, right? There are so many ways that you can involve your viewers. If you were to take a game like Candy Crush a Match 3 style game, maybe there are ways that you can incorporate the viewers themselves into it. Maybe you can replace the, the, the candy with, with portraits of the the chatters you know like based on them completing some challenge and then they can get themselves on there you know a lot of the time people on twitch are trying to get noticed so if they can get themselves in a meaningful way you know the viewers can do things like set challenges they can do things like affect the gameplay like give you a reward or or put something in there that's going to make your life harder you know it's like Mm. there's all these things that you can do it's not necessarily you know, becoming a full player in the game but you can certainly see ways in which an audience could affect it and i feel like twitch is just such an important part of making games now like you should you should always just consider it even in the most of ways a game like candy crush is really old it's it's come around a long time before twitch was a thing and it's mobile as well which is you know there aren't mobile is still a growing category on twitch there's still not you know, there's not a huge uh, amount of mobile Twitch streamers. But again, I think that will change. But once the, the devs start to think more about how does my game look, because you already see it influencing game design. Mm. One of the things, um, one of the big challenges with Twitch is that people who are just browsing through and they see a game and they don't know what it is, or it's very, you know, it might be too complicated. You look at it and you're like, oh, God, I don't know what's going on. There's so much on the screen. People are already considering that in their design choices to think, how, how does my game look if somebody's jumping in right in the middle, no context, don't know anything about it. And even that without any Twitch interactivity, it's thinking about how your game works with Twitch, right? Even just as even just as it currently is just being watched. That those choices are already being made by dev teams. They're already considering that. And, and if they're not, then they definitely should be because that is how the game is being consumed in Twitch ultimately can be a great marketing tool if if a big streamer picks up your game and plays it and there's lots of eyeballs suddenly on it you want it to come across really well you want everyone who jumps into that stream to look at it and go this looks fantastic this looks great I want it
0: that's really interesting yeah I hadn't I hadn't even thought about that of like giving the audience the ability to control or influence a level like they could be gracious to the streamer or they could just troll them completely. And um, mm, that's very interesting. Um, okay. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, so I was recently talking to a guy who's uh, in the process of starting a company. Now, I don't know how you feel about Web3 blockchain games, um, but uh, he's working with uh, a few of the designers of the DD um pack three and, and five uh, editions and they're basically working to create dungeons and dragons kind of online but you can actually like roll characters and kind of own them and stuff like that well that's fine but one thing that he said that I, I thought was particularly interesting is i asked him and i said okay well if you've got the the dm who's like responsible for the game and players are like earning rewards and stuff for the game. Like, couldn't you just like collaborate and cheat together to, to get like all these extra rewards and stuff. And he said, well, here's the real kicker. They're looking to build Twitch into it such that if you are streaming live to players, you actually get much bigger rewards and impacts because it's all kind of out in the public and the people could, you know, actually see that. Um, Also, hopefully like a marketing tactic for them. But if you don't, then you basically earn nothing. I mean, you can still play with your friends and do that. But if you like want to actually like earn stuff in the game, you've got to be in the public space, Um, which I thought that was particularly interesting. Have you ever seen anyone do something similar of like, hey, if you take the step of actually streaming, we're going to maybe like tweak your game economy. So you're going to get better rewards or move faster, you know, anything like that before?
1: Yeah. So there are some, there are some reward systems um, on Twitch. I don't, we haven't, we haven't personally worked with them yet, but I know um, I believe they're called Twitch drops. So you can earn, you can earn real rewards into the games um, when you're watching Twitch. Um, but I don't, I think that's more on the viewer side rather than the streamer side in terms of the streamer getting bigger rewards for streaming. We did touch upon this in our family feud game, actually. And, um, because we had an economy system in it where you can earn uh, coins to unlock customizations and i can remember us talking about um how to deal with the streaming uh, mode because you were earning coins based on how many viewers were getting the right answer and of course if you've got thousands then you suddenly get loads of coins and our our attitude was really just well fine uh, that's great because they have <laughs> thousands of people uh to the game so we have no problem with that we shouldn't put any kind of cap on it we should give them that reward but we were also kind of conscious of not making it too big a reward right because um ultimately it was just in-game uh, customizations like there are some cool ones and they can take a long time to earn and really what we're saying is i don't know you know a big streamer like ninja streams our game and he's unlocked everything and he's got the crown well that's fine you know that doesn't really matter <laughs> if, if anything seeing the crown and other people are like i want the crown too you know that's all good but i think the danger with that kind of system is that if you're sort of if you're designing the game where it's the most fun if you're streaming it and you're streaming it to a big group of people then the the issue may well be that you you never get anyone that does that and and every anyone that tries to never reaches the fun part if you see what i mean because Mm. they aren't able to do that so you have to be kind of careful in the way that you do that when we design for streaming we're very careful to make sure that it works for small groups medium groups large groups and even zero viewers because you've got to take into account zero viewer streams this is how Pretty much all streamers start. If you if you tomorrow decide I'm going to make a Twitch channel, I'm going to to start from scratch. You'll have zero viewers, maybe for weeks. You know, it's like it can take a long time before you start to build an audience, and it can be really hard. So you're constantly you're constantly having to behave like you have an audience when you don't, um, because somebody's going to drop in on your channel and they're going to be they're going to make their mind up in seconds. Should I stay? So um, one of the disadvantages that we discovered with Act It Out is that it just didn't work for zero viewers. If I'm here acting and, you know, doing things and there's nobody in the chat, there's nothing to engage with. So when we did our next uh, Twitch game, which I believe was its quiz time, um, we made it so that the streamer was playing the quiz themselves and the viewers could also play and join in. But if they if they weren't there, then it didn't really matter because the host still had a goal and a challenge that they were focusing on and it just kind of it got it did get more fun the more people it was more exciting but it it wasn't like you were it wasn't like the base game itself wasn't fun without anybody there so that's the important thing is to make sure that you're hitting that benchmark and not holding back the best of your game for people that may not actually ever get a chance to to stream it because it's it's a it's a it's a word of mouth kind of rolling thing you need mm. someone to stream it someone else to stream it before it it lands in front of that big streamer and it might happen or it might never happen but if if you haven't got those smaller and mid-sized streamers out there you know lighting those <laughs> fires then you might never reach that big streamer so it's it's got to be fun for them yeah. too
0: so thinking about games and business kind of as a whole within this context of streaming um act it out like was that game like is that game created to like play like me you and maybe a couple other friends like would that actually just be fun for us to like play in a room together or whatnot like do you have to design first for the people that are actually buying And then you kind of add streaming as a layer on top of it. Or like at what point in time do you think about how do we add streaming into here? Because I mean, I would think ultimately the goal with building streaming in and getting thousands of viewers to engage in it is to hopefully get all those thousands to then go and buy the game themselves as well. Um, I guess at what point or or what level do you kind of design the streaming into it?
1: So it's varied actually. Um, But we we do tend to think about the core game in the living room first and foremost, because that's still where the majority of our sales comes from, from a business perspective. And even those viewers on Twitch, you, know, you look at the Twitch usage, you've got, a, you've got a lot of content creators, but you've got a lot more viewers. So those people who are watching it and thinking about whether they want to buy it or not, they're also gonna to want to know that they can play it without streaming, because they might not actually be streamers themselves. So that part is, is still very important to us. But I do see a future of, you know, a game that is just purely made for streaming. We've, there are already a few out there, you know, the um, Gartic Phone um, developers made a spin-off, uh, it's called Gartic on Stream, that's what it's called. Yeah, there's a, few, there's a few like that words on stream, Marvel's on stream. These games can't be played, on, you know, without Twitch, but they're also uh, free. So they're more of like a, they're more of like a marketing tool or an experiment. They're just they're just building the hype and they're mm-hmm. getting people into it. Um, at the moment, it's hard to know if there's a viable business for a game that you sell that is only functional on Twitch. I think we're not there mm-hmm. yet. So for us, definitely the living room experience is still kind of king. Um, the interesting story about Act it Out is that when we we actually introduce the bigger Twitch features over time. So our original goal with it really was, you know, let's make a party game. Um, let's do something that we know that we can do that isn't gonna take us too long, isn't overly complicated. So it did start off largely as a living room experience. Um, and when we released the first version, we didn't have the full t- Twitch interactivity in it. All we actually did originally, was uh, it was a ps4 game and on the ps4 you have the ability to block parts of the screen so all we did was hide the secret phrase when somebody was streaming it we didn't do anything more than that um but then we found people were actually just playing it with their viewers anyway so they were playing it just managing it themselves pressing the buttons when somebody put something in the chat so then that's when we added this more dedicated mode that actually read in the chat so Certainly for Act it Out, I think Twitch was was more of a small thought in our minds at the beginning and then we watched how people actually used it and then the ideas just built from there. We could see what people were already doing. And then for our next game, it was obviously a lot more at the front of our minds, but we still we still have to make sure that living room experience is more fun. So um, I don't think we've ever got to a point where we've come at it Twitch first and then tried to build a kind of living room side off the back of that but i do think that we are with each game thinking more and more about twitch and what it means to the game and how it will work and i would like to get to a point where we could make a game that was just for twitch uh, i just don't feel like it's um i don't yeah, you, feel like we've passed that experimental phase yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you almost need like either some sort of monetization collaboration either with twitch itself or with the streamers you know an yeah. add rev share or something like that. Um, you, you talked about something kind of a couple times, but I just want to like clarify what it means and what you can do for the designers that are maybe like wanting to sit things through some things. Um, and that is, you know, what does Twitch interactivity actually mean?
1: Well, to, uh, yeah, I guess it, to me, it means um, some way of affecting the game through as a Twitch viewer, whatever that may be. Um, and there are a few different definitions of this. Um, I've seen it done in a lot of ways. If you think about Jackbox, for example, which is very much thought of as a game you play on Twitch, they don't do anything with the chat. It's all simply because you can use your mobile to join in uh, and, and play along from a device and there's, you don't need to be in the same room. It also works really well over Zoom and things like that. And that's sort of one category of doing it. There's the way that we've done it with our just typing commands into the chat, and that also works fine. And then you've got the Twitch extensions, which is a, yeah another way of doing it. This is I think um, I don't know if you remember Twitch sings, which uh, RIP shut mm. down now. <laughs> it was a lovely little karaoke game on Twitch, um, and it, it was it was basically just uh, yeah the, the streamers would sing um, and the viewers would they'd interact with you in different ways. They'd set little challenges for you. They'd kind of rate your performance and things like that. And that came with an extension that they could use. So there are all these kind of different ways of doing it. And there's all different levels of interactivity. You know, there's, there are some games where it's, it's quite light and it's just sort of, you can vote on things. And then there are games where you can fully get involved you like Jackbox where you can join as a, as a player like any other player, but you just happen to not be in the same room. But for me, I think it's anything that lets you affect the game by not being there.
0: So I guess like, are there like Twitch SDKs that, you know, you can plug in that lets your server know that, hey, this is the person. And when they do X, Y, Z and, you know, in the Twitch stream, you know, now I know, hey, I'm going to put that super annoying bomb in the Candy Crush, you know, screen kind of a thing.
1: Yeah. So from the technical side, yeah, there's, there's an SDK that you can work with and um, you can detect all sorts of things you know you can you can obviously with the chat Um, if you're working with an extension you can pick up on who and what is interacting with that extension Um, for the sort of jackbox solution there's no need to use any SDKs for that because you're just talking about screen sharing it's pretty pretty basic in terms of what it does you're just allowing the viewers to see the screen and letting them join through a remote system which is going to a website typing in a room code so you don't need anything on that side although I do believe um, Jackbox has a, a like a what's the word like a control system on it to stop trolling so you can have the option to force them to log into Twitch so that would probably need to use the SDK on that kind of technical side um, but th- there are things so basically you can when you log into Twitch with your own Twitch account, you can get access to more uh, information and things like, <coughs> excuse me, things like raids and hosts, and you can get profile pictures and stuff like that. But you can also just point at a Twitch channel and not log in and you can still get a lot of information just because it's publicly available, like the chat. Anybody can can get the chat from any Twitch channel. It's not private. <coughs> <Sorry. laughs>
0: All good. Um, I'm curious about, you know, marketing and historically game or, well, in recent years, gaming is becoming more and more performance driven, um, because we want to know if we spend a dollar, we're making $2 or, or whatnot. Um, and I know that influencer marketing is becoming a more and more popular topic. Um, curious, like, have you guys done any sort of paid streamers, whether it's ninja or somebody else to you know play your game to feature it to try to drive those sales we've
1: never paid anyone to play our games um we're a very small company we just can't can't afford that (laughs) so no we've never done it um but we have still had big big streamers pick up our games um xqc played family feud when it came out to i think it was 120,000 people we were briefly above fortnight which was very exciting <laughs> um, i i don't know in terms of a strategy it's just not something that's an option for us because we're we're in indie we we have very little to spend on marketing as it is and i guess that's part of our strategy is that when we have these twitch features we see that as part of our marketing you know it's getting people to play it on twitch in itself is marketing and sometimes bigger streamers pick things up when somebody does we see a huge bump in sales you know we can see off the back of that that there is definitely a big impact so i can imagine that paying an influencer to promote your product is very successful um it's just not something that we do ourselves it might be something that we would do in the future but when we're just not big enough at the moment to sort of justify that and I don't know I have mixed feelings about it as well because I do think I prefer the sort of something you know I think you want that authenticity a lot of the time if somebody's being paid to promote something does it feel like it's the same you know do they do they actually care did you get that same vibe I don't know um I don't I, I assume that it it still works pretty well but would you still get the same level of sales as it was just a kind of organic thing that they've just picked it up and wanted to play it and that their reactions to it are genuine? Um, and I mean that it's it's always very exciting for us when a bigger streamer starts playing our game, you know, we we get really kind of <laughs> nervous but um, thrilled to see, to see it all going on. Um, but it's yeah that there are just so many new uh, ways to market games now, and uh, I feel like it's all so new that we we don't fully know the impact of things because it's just changing all the time.
0: Yeah, well, maybe a slightly different version of that. You know, as a streamer, there's probably hundred thousand, maybe millions of options of games that I could be playing and streaming. How do you help them to find your game? Like is someone on your team just, you know, saying, hey, check out this new game, like give it a try, stream it kind of a thing. You know, how do you get these in front of these streamers, you know, in the first place? Because I assume that there are challenges in discoverability, at least, you know, on on day zero.
1: Yeah. I mean, people, a lot of people come and seek us out. Actually, when we've released a game, we uh, use something called Keymailer to distribute uh keys to uh to, to people who are on key mail or to streamers so um we've we've got a we've got like a mailing list of, of people that we've met as well because we we've been to things like twitchcon and we've met a few people so we do just sort of personally engage with some people that we know um and we ask them you know here's a, here's a free key if you play it that would be lovely but you know we can't we can't make them um yeah. But yeah, people do. There's always a a nice group of people that do. And sometimes we just don't know how people have found out about our games. I mean, when Awkward came out, for example, Awkward's really interesting because when we released it, it was only in English. Uh, It's got a lot of text. There's 5,000 questions. So you can imagine how much that, that kind of comes down to when you're translating it. So we only released it in English to start with. And then we noticed that um, a a partnered German Twitch streamer started playing it, and he was fairly, you know, not not massive, but getting thousands of viewers every time. And that had such a snowball effect on awkward, suddenly German streamers were playing it all the time, even though it was in English. So what they were doing was that they would they were translating the questions live on stream. They were just reading them out in German for their viewers. and and that went on for a very long time, and then we decided to actually add German uh, in the end to, yeah. to the game. And and yeah, it's it's definitely, you still see the impact of that initial uh, kind of breakthrough stream. And we still see a lot of German streams of all, but probably more than we do in English, I would say. So sometimes we just don't know how they found out about it, but it just kicks off and, and it it has this kind of snowball effect. And... And yeah, it's, it's uh, obviously it's great, but sometimes you just can't control these things. Sometimes you don't know where it's coming from. But I think one of the things that helps is being on Steam for, for a while now as well. When we when we first started releasing games on Steam, I think our sales were, were pretty modest. And but the longer that you've been on there, I think you start seeing you know, more from this developer. You get those like, oh, and other people bought this game. So. And there's a lot of variety streamers out there that like games like what we do. There's a lot of people who play Jackbox and there's mm. games like What the Dub and Usual Words, those kind of games. There's this whole kind of group of them that are quite into it. So our games often pop up as suggestions within within those kind of groups. And you've got your different types of streamers, right? You've got those ones who who only stream Fortnite or whatever, but the variety ones tend to fall more into this genre of games that we make and they're far more likely to cycle through lots of different games so that means that they're always on the lookout for something to to try so that helps too
0: yeah no that's great I am curious you know with awkward and the the questions and content like you know what sort of questions like did you come up with like did you deliberately you know come up with questions that were just going to like you know, have people laughing or kind of blown away or like drawn in. And like, I know I should stop watching, but I just, you know, can't help myself kind of a thing. Like, how'd you come up with the content for that?
1: But well, the story of Ork was quite interesting. It it kind of came from me talking to some of my friends. I think we were uh, kind of in our early thirties at the time. And a lot of my friends I'd known for a long time since school and a lot of them have been married for a long time too since their early 20s so i think we were just kind of drunk and chatting and then it was all like Do you know I, yeah, I love my husband but i miss those days when we were always finding out new things about each other and just talking and talking and talking and it got me thinking it's like how can we can we capture that somehow in a game so awkward really has become the, the, the gamifying of conversation it's to ask someone a question where they reveal something about themselves that it's very likely that you've never heard before. But They are hard to write, but the, the, the key to writing a good question is to come up with two options that are kind of opposite ends, and also you don't really want to choose either of them. Um, one of my favourite ones is: uh, Would you rather get a tattoo of your mum's name or your partner's name? And it's like whatever you say, you're in trouble, you know. <laughs> it's like you've got to and you've and people feel they have to justify why they say this it's like no i'll tell you why it's because of this and they'll always have a story or they'll reveal something about themselves and um it's a very chatty game you know the game itself doesn't last that long you can kind of spin through the game really quickly if you if you wanted to but what actually makes it is these long pauses sometimes up to 10 minutes people will sit on the the question and and explain why they've chosen it or or kind of you know think out loud well I want to say this I want to say that I don't know and also what we do in awkward is we reveal what the rest of the world say so after you actually choose your answer you get to see what everybody else in the world has said and those stats continue to live update so that's always quite fascinating too because some people can get quite shocked like what 71% I think there's a question about um do you brush your teeth twice a day and that's like 50 50 there's lots of people out there that say no that's always (laughs) quite shocking it's like you, you okay don't admit it though but um but yeah people do it, it kind of you go into that game understanding that it's gonna it is gonna be awkward and you need to be honest and most people are and what it does do is it sparks a lot of conversation and it's it's not for everyone you know like awkward is very uh, we have a saying in, in the UK that it's marmite marmite's this like spread you put on your toast and it's very weird taste so people either love it or hate it and we say it's like a marmite game because <laughs> people either love it or hate it. You know, we've had we've had really strong reaction people, people who've who've loved it so much that we've had emails from people saying, you know, I never play games, but this is the only game I play. Uh, we had someone who streamed it for 10 hours straight. And it's like, I don't think even I could play it for, for 10 hours. You know, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, we've had people get very upset about it and just say, you know that they had a big argument with their friends when they played it because they found out some political view that they had um, that they didn't want to know so um but it's for me i i find it i'd rather make a game that provokes a big reaction than a kind of meh not bothered one you know it's like um i'm, I'm proud of the fact that it does get people talking and it, and it is a different kind of an unusual game you know a game that is purely designed to make you talk and make you tell stories make you reveal things about yourself that you wouldn't normally you know i think that's quite an unusual thing and it's uh yeah it's it's, it's an exciting space to move into when you're making games It's, it's a bit more um it's a bit different you know
0: that's awesome I really like it. I'm going to play that game now. (laughs) But uh, cool. So, uh, Joe, we're unfortunately out of time here. Um, So I I have, I know, (laughs) we can keep going. Um, I have one final question for you because we are on the Mastering Retention Podcast, of course. And that's, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years to keep your players playing for longer? Like, how do you keep them coming back day after day, week after week, month after month? The
1: trick is to trust your players to create the entertainment. And that's a bit like what I was saying earlier about off-screen interaction. Um, When you design a game where a big part of it is how the players respond and behave to each other, you're just the prompt, you're just leading them to do it. And then they make each other laugh, they say funny things to each other, And they go away thinking it was the game that did all that. But it was actually, it was them. But you've just led them in there. And every time they play that game, they will have a different experience because it's all unique. It's all dependent on who is there and in that moment. So with party games, I feel like it's almost like a bit of a cheese, a bit of a trick. Like we're just, we're letting the players do half the work for us. But that in itself is hard, you know, you have to make sure that you're balancing it just right so that you've given them enough, enough space to, to do that. And you've you've not left them completely helpless with nothing, but you've not also just taken over and done it all for them. You've given them just enough. And if you can get that right, then that's all you need, because they play it once. They have a wonderful time. They just want to do it again. Party games are really evergreen. You know, we see that in our sales. Every Christmas yeah. we get a little bump, but they tend to remain pretty solid and steady. Not like not like every other game where it's you know you you've got to get that launch right and um, yeah you'll see bumps and updates and things, but you you live and die by those updates. You know we don't we don't really have that in party games. They can just continue to kind of steadily go along and keep selling um, because people always love them, and there's there's not this expectation to have the best graphics or you know the the latest technical achievements what it needs to do is give them a good time and it's something that they can evangelize to their friends and family and get them involved and um yeah it really comes down to, to the players and those people and they're the ones that make it and they know the real trick is that they have such a good time because they're with people they love so they want to do that again um and and that's 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 why i do this i love these kind of games because i love doing something that brings people that kind of joy you know you're literally making memories with the people you love
0: love it well that's great well thank you so much joe um if people do have any questions is there a good way for them to get in contact with you
1: um yeah probably my twitter is the best place to catch me um i'm just joanna haslam uh all one word on twitter so yeah feel free i'm always happy to chat. Chat games. Awesome.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye.